Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and verse 14. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. We're now going to turn to Proverbs chapter 5 from verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. We're going to look at Exodus uh, chapter 20, and we're working through the Ten Commandments. And as Andy said this morning, we come to verse 14, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. In 2015, the website Ashley Madison was front page news worldwide. And that was because the site was hacked and the details of 30 million subscribers were released. Now, sadly, if your email is anything like mine, um, we get emails from different websites where we have accounts to tell us that they've been hacked, it seems, almost weekly. Different things have got into difficulty. Not that website, of course. But why was there such a fuss about the hacking of Ashley Madison? Well, it was because of the purpose of that site. The uh, headline on the site was, Life is short, have an affair. And the purpose of the site was to introduce married couples or individuals who are married to other people who are married who are not their spouses so that they could engage in affairs. What was even more shocking was that the names of many prominent people around the world were among the 30 million released. Friends, that reminds us that we live in a highly sexualized society. And if there was any of the commandments that spoke with direct relevance to all of us here this morning... Is it not the seventh, which calls us at its very heart to exclusive faithfulness in marriage, 
exclusive faithfulness and marriage. And maybe as you hear that seventh commandment read this morning, there might be ways in which you're affected by that right now. Perhaps you are struggling with sin and temptation in this area as a Christian. Or perhaps you're seeking to draw alongside somebody else who is. Or maybe as Andy made reference to a weather, maybe you've had the sad experience of being sinned against in marriage in this way. However it is, we might be affected. We need to remember that as we come to these commandments, and as we think about what they mean, we have seen there have been three key principles we've focused on as we've looked at each of the ten. And particularly for this one, it's important that we remind ourselves of these three principles that we've been applying as we've been working through. We've seen that each of these commandments is speaking about categories of sin rather than narrow, specific situations alone. So when God speaks about one particular sin, and in this commandment we'll see in a moment the sin of adultery, all other connected sins are also addressed by the commandment. Now we see that because in Psalm 119 and verse 96 we read this, your commandments are exceedingly broad. And so God is not just referring to one very narrow thing, although he is, and we'll see that, he is also referring to a wide range of connected sins. So when God speaks about one sin, all the categories connected are affected, are are implied. Secondly, the positive commandment is implied in the negative prohibition. The negative statement, you shall not, implies the positive, you shall. And we've seen that already. So for example, in the third commandment, they're about not misusing the Lord's name. You shall, um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That did not just imply that we should not do something about God's name. It also implied something positive about the name of the Lord, that we should honor God's name and honor God's character. So in the negative, the positive is also implied, and we'll see that in this commandment. But also, thirdly, we see that God's commandments are both outward in reference and inward in reference towards our hearts. As we looked at the sixth commandment and the way Jesus helped us to see the depth of that commandment, what did he say? He said, you have heard that it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, do not be angry. So the inward of the heart is also addressed in the outward command not to do something. And that's not an addition of the New Testament. That's implied there in the Ten Commandments. Jesus is really clear that he is saying he has come not to abolish God's law, but to fulfill God's law. So to bring us to understand the meaning of the depth of God's law, showing us what is already there. So those three commandments are really critical as we look at this commandment, the seventh commandment. As God speaks about one sin, he's speaking about every connected sin. The positive is implied with the negative, and the commandments are both outward and inward in focus. So having those three principles in mind, let's look today at the three aspects of this commandment. We're going to look at the letter of the commandment, and we'll look very narrowly, uh, very specifically, at what it means not to commit adultery, and understand why that's so very important. Then we're going to turn to think about the spirit of this commandment, and, and there we're going to think about all the things connected to it, the breadth of God's commandments, and see how the heart is also affected. And then I, I want us to grasp, in a particular way as we think about this commandment, the urgency 
of this commandment. So we're going to think about the letter, the spirit, and the urgency. So let's think first of all about the letter of this commandment. As we turn to Exodus 20 and verse 14 and read, you shall not commit adultery. Now what does that mean? Well, that is to protect the one flesh union of the marriage bond. It means that all sexual activity of any kind is prohibited if we are married to anyone other than our spouse, and if not married, to someone who is married. So it's specific in the letter of the commandment that it's relating to protecting the one flesh union of marriage and the marriage bond. And we need to see, friends, that adultery is a particularly serious sin. All sin is serious in the sight of the living God, but there are some sins which are particularly serious. And we notice that in two ways as we think about this sin. As we look at the Old Testament and as we look at the way in which the laws of the Old Testament, the moral law was applied in the life of God's people as a nation, as Israel, of what we call the civil law, we notice there were different punishments applied to different commandments that were broken. And there are some commandments for which um, the death penalty under the old covenant on the civil law was required. And this was one of them. In Leviticus 20 and verse 11, we see that. So there is a greater punishment for those who break the one flesh union of the marriage bond. So we see that in the seriousness of the punishments. But also, and this is why we read from Proverbs 5, we could have read from many other passages. This particular sin is so often addressed in the scriptures. I didn't do the numbers, but I'd imagine if we did, we would find the calling to faithfulness in marriage is one of the most strong commandments, repeated, most frequent, again and again and again. If you just go and read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you will find that that as Solomon speaks to his son and, and, and seeks to instruct all, Again and again and again, adultery is particularly the focus. So this is a particularly grievous sin. All sin is serious, but we should note that God warns us particularly about this sin. So why does God do that? Why is adultery so very serious? And we have six things to consider here. As we think about uh, this, this, the letter of the commandment, I want us to see why it's so very serious so we grasp why God presses this home to us. And we need to see that because, first of all, adultery breaks a solemn promise. Exclusive sexual faithfulness is part of the marriage vows. When a couple stand, first of all, in the presence of God and then the presence of those assembled to witness their marriage, they promise to forsake all others and remain faithful only to their spouse as long as they both shall live. And those promises mean something. They are solemn promises in the sight of the living God. It's something we remind a couple of us. We come to the marriage service. And as someone has pointed out, if a man will break a solemn promise to his wife like this, can anyone trust his word? And those who have been sinned against through adultery know just how painful the breach of trust in this way is. And how hard it can be to rebuild that trust afterwards. So it breaks a solemn promise, but also 
It damages a picture of God's relationship to us as his people. God, through the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, chooses the relationship, the institution of marriage, to picture how he is going to relate to his people. So in the Old Testament, God is a husband. His people are his spouse. In the New Testament, Christ is the groom. His people are the bride. And so God has particularly chosen to use this relationship of marriage to communicate something very powerful about his relationship to his people. It's like an amazing picture that God shines forth in all those marriages that exist in our world. And adultery tramples upon and tears up God's artwork. The powerful picture is destroyed. But then also, and here we come to the third reason why it's so serious, it's so very serious because the one flesh union of marriage is so very powerful and good in marriage. You know, our our society wants to tell us that sex is a small thing. The message of our world is that we should be physically intimate first And then, if that works out, consider compatibility emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. But friends, that approach does great harm. And God's approach, God's order, is the opposite. That one fleshly union comes last because it is the very pinnacle of the marriage bond. Because having come together in every other way, this is the final thing that happens once they have promised to one another to remain faithful, and that's because there is great depth to the connection of the one flesh union. God has made this to be a very powerful thing that unites husband and wife, and for that reason, it is to be an exclusive thing. But then fourthly, adultery is so very serious because it harms you personally. Adultery erodes your character and your integrity. Striking that in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6, in this extended section that, among other things, but very repeatedly speaks to us about the danger of adultery, in Proverbs 6, verses 27 and 28, the comparison is made like this. Uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 6, 27 uh, sorry, 27 and 28, can a, speaking of adultery, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothings being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? What's it saying? It's saying this sin in particular has particular harm upon your life because you will be required to spin a web of lies and deceit in order to engage in this both before it and after it. And in all the sad situations I've known about, adultery always brings great spiritual harm to those who engage in it, and it leads them into many other sins. It harms you personally. But also it harms children, our fifth reason. It destroys the security and the peace and the the unity of the marriage and of the home. Adultery sets an example of of secrecy and dishonesty to children within the very relationships that should demonstrate the highest level of trust and openness. 
And then sixthly, friends, it harms society. We saw as we looked at the fifth commandment that that God has given marriage and family as a key building block for society. And so we must not agree when it's said that this is just a private act, adultery is just a private act between two consenting adults. Rather, it is a deliberate destruction of something that God has given to be a good building block and blessing to our world. So friends, with all of those six reasons in mind, here's what I want you to take away. The devil knows how good marriage is and how many things are harmed when we engage in this sin. And so he is particularly seeking to attack marriages in this way. If you are married and you know that your heart is straying from your spouse, perhaps even you are considering adultery, please see how serious this is. It is not inevitable that you go down this path. Do not believe the lie of the devil that says, well, you've taken a few steps and you're going towards it, you must just keep going. You can stop. You could flee. You can turn away from this. It does not need to lead you. The temptation you feel in your heart does not, lead you to the, does not need to lead you to the act. So flee, take action. You will not regret it. And friends, can I just say that if you need help, you need someone to draw alongside you and help you speak to another mature Christian, speak to any of the elders or our wives or the women's workers in the church, We will not condemn. We want to help you. Seek help. This is something we need to reach out to one another to support one another if that is a need. So that is why adultery is so serious. And that is why we need to particularly hear what is said to us here in this commandment. We've seen the letter of the commandment. Now let's turn secondly to see the spirit of this commandment. And here we come to see the breadth that that all other connected sins are addressed in a very specific sin of do not commit adultery. And this commandment more broadly implies that sex, both in the act and in the desire, is only for the marriage bond. It's the only place for it. And let me see three ways in which this works out. First of all, we need to see how this applies to our hearts. We've made reference already to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28, Jesus addresses this very subject of adultery where he says these words, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the Lord Jesus is very clear there that we are to avoid all thoughts of the lustful, desires for anyone other than our spouse, and ungodly attractions. The first thought, and here's how we need to apply this, the first thought that we have when we look at another person, if they're not our spouse, is they are not my spouse and I will not even entertain the beginning of any attraction to them. That's as strong as we need to be with our hearts, friends. 
Do not allow this sin to begin and to take root in your hearts. It's especially important, friends, to address our hearts because in all the sad situations I'm aware of, adultery is always planned. It might be one event, but it will have been imagined perhaps hundreds of times in someone's mind before it happens. It applies to our hearts. But it also, friends, this commandment applies to those who are not married. Because whilst the seventh commandment in the letter particularly addresses adultery, which is speaking about faithfulness in the marriage covenant, the broader term biblically that teaches us that we should have sex, sex is only for, in action and desire, only for the marriage bond. The broader term biblically is is fornication. And that refers to all sexual activity outside of marriage, even if neither party is married. So Paul uh, uses uh, that word in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, And verse 18, it's translated in our versions, sexual morality. He says, flee, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What are we learning here, friends? We're learning that that God has given you and me a desire for physical intimacy, and that is a powerful desire, and God uses it for great good within the marriage bond. But we are to save it for marriage alone. So if you are single and you struggle not being married, can I encourage you to bring that struggle to the Lord, to ask him to help you as you wait to seek contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as appropriate, if not gifted for celibacy and singleness, be active in seeking a spouse. And as, as we think about this broader category of sexual morality or fornication, we need to see that when the Bible speaks of that, it is very clear that it is also addressing homosexuality to tell us that is wrong. And since all sexual activity biblically is to be towards our spouse within the marriage bond, that means that all sexual activity on our own is also wrong. I wonder if I could say uh, something particularly to the students this week. This week is the beginning of Welcome Week at the university, and that's a great opportunity to get to know new people, to share the gospel, to reach out with the news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a week of particular temptation as well. For some who come to university... The goal of this week is to sin in this way. Be wise and careful in how you approach this week. You may feel lonely because you're missing friends, you're missing family. Seek new Christian friendships this week. Be very careful about the settings and the temptations you might face this week. It's all too easy to justify putting ourselves in an unwise situation, so be particularly careful during Welcome Week. So these verses apply to those who are not married. But then, 
Thirdly, I want us to see, we've seen in the spirit of this commandment that it applies to our hearts. We've seen that it applies to those who are not married. But it also calls us to a positive love for our spouses. And here we see that principle that when the negative is stated, the positive is also implied. So if we are married, we are called to do something positively here. So if, if, if you could say, I have been faithful in action and heart for all of my life towards my spouse... I've never committed adultery in that sense. We would still not be keeping the breadth of this commandment as we should because it calls us to something positive. We read of that in Proverbs 5, in that second half of the reading, where alongside the clear warning to stay stay away from adultery, there was a very clear command to take positive delight in your spouse. And there are more things that Proverbs says about the positive delight there in the marriage covenants. And a strong protection against adultery is a healthy marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5 reminds us that couples should not deny one another physically except for prayer. More generally, we are called to do all that we can to strengthen our marriage to invest in that relationship, in time, in emotion, in spiritual connection. Devote time to being together. One of the things that Naomi and I were encouraged to do early on in marriage life was to try and have an evening together as a couple. Friends in the States uh, put before us a helpful example of maybe once a year having a, a night or two away together. Invest in your marriage. And as you do that, show physical affection for your spouse. We communicate something about the goodness of marriage as we do that, and as we do that privately, but as we also do that publicly in appropriate ways. One of the things that Naomi is very good at doing is always saying hello and goodbye, even when we're in a rush. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. And can I remind us all that that just as we saw that the danger of going into sin begins in our hearts, therefore also a positive commitment to our spouses in all these areas begins in our hearts as well. Hold your spouse in high regard. And as you hold them in high regard in your hearts, demonstrating that and investing in your marriage will flow and come naturally. So friends, we've seen the spirit of this commandment, having seen the letter of this commandment. Now we turn to the third aspect that we need to close on, which is the urgency of this commandment. Now turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to notice something significant here. In Matthew chapter 5, in that section where we just read, where Jesus speaks of the danger of committing adultery in our hearts, He then continues in verses 29 and 30 in significant ways. He says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, that is very significant because Jesus doesn't add those words to other places in the Sermon on the Mount where he further explains 
the fullness of God's commands. He particularly chooses to do that when speaking about adultery in the heart. Now, we know when Jesus is talking about taking your eye out or cutting your arm off, he doesn't mean that literally because we spent time two weeks ago talking about the goodness of our lives and the need to protect our lives. But what he does want us to see is that addressing this commandment is urgent and we should take drastic action. Let me put it to you like this. Is there any action that is too costly to protect you from sin in this area. You know, too often, we can see that a problem is beginning, we know there is a solution, but we're not prepared to take it. One preacher I listened to this week said, choke the life out of this sin. And so I want to put before us all that there is an urgent need to take drastic action. Let me suggest some ways that we might do that. We are to guard our eyes. In Job chapter 31, verse 1, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a young woman. And we know that the eyes are the gateway to our hearts. And so if we are to take drastic action, then we are to guard what comes in through our eyes. Now, what might that mean practically? Well, it might mean that there are some places it's better for you not to go because there are things you would see that would not be helpful. It may mean there are some sports it's better for you not to play because there are things that you would see that would be unhelpful. It may mean there are some hobbies it's better for you not to have because the eyes would be the gateway to your heart. And friends, within the church, within brothers and sisters, let us love one another so that we don't tempt each other to sin in this way. We need to all take care with how we dress so that as far as we are able, we don't give the occasion for somebody else to sin in their hearts against the Lord. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 commends modesty in dress. Let's love one another as we do that. But as we guard our eyes, let's also guard our hearts. And here the calling friends is to be very careful about what you dwell upon in your heart. Do not entertain fantasies or imagine things. I was reading one uh, biblical counselor this week speaking about this issue who made the point that our heart is like a room. And we can choose whether we are going to fill that room with darkness or whether we are going to fill that room with light so that darkness cannot live there. Remember Philippians chapter 4, whatever is good and pure and holy, meditate on those things, fill your heart with good things. And we should seek to help one another too here as well as we think about guarding our hearts because we do need to take care with our comments towards one another and with unbalanced attention to the opposite sex. Be careful about complimenting someone about their appearance. That can be misunderstood and can be very unhelpful. Love each other by guarding each other, helping each other to guard our hearts. But then also, as we think about drastic action, build your defences. There was a Puritan uh, preacher called John Owen who wrote a great many things, of which I've read very few. But one thing he did write that was very helpful is a book called Sin and Temptation. 
And his key insight in the book is, if you are going to guard against sin, you need to know how sin is going to attack you. You need to know where your weaknesses are and where the devil is going to try and break you down. It's a bit like Nehemiah, isn't it? That when he returned to Jerusalem to help to strengthen the city of Jerusalem, he focused attention, first of all, on the walls. And what did he do? He went around the walls, he inspected for signs of weakness, and he put the energies there to rebuild the defenses. The devil is waging a warfare against our hearts. And he has been particularly effective in the last 15 years or so in a kind of cyber warfare through the powerful weapon of digital media. And there are so many ways in which problems in this area can come into our lives because of streaming on the internet, because of access to internet, because of mobiles and tablets. And we need to be so careful in this area. Remember Jesus' words about urgency and drastic action. So, if your mobile smartphone is a problem, would it be too drastic a thing to have a Nokia block instead of a smartphone? No. If your use of the internet at home is a problem, would it be too drastic a loss not to have access at home? No. Better to take drastic action and guard our hearts and guard our eyes and build our defenses. Remember the story of Joseph, friends. When he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, he was prepared to flee whatever the cost. And what was the cost for Joseph? The cost was false allegations against him that led to 14 years in prison. And he still fled. If you are married... Make your life an open book. Don't hide things from your spouse. Make your devices something that they have the access to. Make your usage history something that they can see. Messages can be open and available for your spouse to act. Be drastic in the protection, friends. And and can I just say a word to parents? To say that, parents, we need to protect our children. There are practical things that we can do to help our children in this way, to to particularly engage in defense as we think about this cyber warfare. Put computers in family spaces, not in bedrooms. There is software that we can help our children to put on on their phones to protect them until we're filtering. And it might mean that our children don't have access to some things their friends have. It might mean that they protest because there isn't the same degree of freedom as their friends have. But they will thank you as they're older. And children, can I just say that if you see something on a friend's phone or on a tablet or somewhere else and you know it's not right, ask your parents about it. They love you and they want to help you. But what else can we do? Well, a few of the quick things. We can keep busy. As we seek to take urgent action, we can keep busy. One of the saddest occasions of adultery in the Bible is David's adultery with Bathsheba. And and it leads to this horrible web, as we thought already, of of the lies and deceit, and and in David's case, putting Bathsheba's husband Uriah in combat so that he would be murdered or be killed there. And there are many unwise steps from them both that lead to their sin of adultery. But as I was reading in my, my own devotions a week or so ago, I was struck by where 
you might say it began. Because right at the beginning of the account of all that happened, David is in Jerusalem at the beginning. Now that's significant because in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1, we're reminded that at that time of the year, the king would normally go to war with his armies. And David sends his armies and his generals to war, but he stays at home. Because David isn't busy as a king should be, he sets himself on a path to temptation and then to sin. And friends, is it not the case that sometimes our points of greatest weakness, when the devil attacks us so strongly, is when we're not busy? Seek fellowship with other Christians. Visit those who are lonely in the church. Serve in ministries. Volunteer in your community. Be busy in those ways. But then the final way, the fifth way that we can take drastic action is to grow in fear of the Lord. For Joseph, when Potiphar's wife is trying to tempt him to adultery, he recognizes that Potiphar, his master, has been such a good master and he does not want to break that trust. But then what is Joseph's biggest concern as he explains it? It's very striking. He says, Potiphar has entrusted everything into my hand except you because you are his wife. And then he says, I will not do this because I will not sin against God in this way. Joseph respects Potiphar, but what causes him to flee was the fear of the Lord. And friends, there are so many reasons why this is a serious sin, but the most pressing is that the Lord tells us it is, and we should hear him because we fear him. So grow in your fear of God. See all sin as, first of all, a vertical thing before the God of heaven. It's a problem before him, before anything else. And as we grow in our fear of the Lord, we will be helped to walk in godliness. Now, let me close by saying a few things about what can we do if we have sinned in this area. Well, friends, there is hope and forgiveness from all sin through repentance and faith. And it is significant that the Lord chooses to record for us in Psalm 51 the way in which David came back to God in repentance and faith having fallen into the very sin that he was engaged in with Bathsheba. And as we close, I want you to see how hopeful Psalm 51 is. We can't read it all this morning. We don't have time. It's nearly gone. But this is a particularly helpful psalm because what David prays for gives you and I hope this morning. Two things that are hopeful. First of all, David's prayer that God would forgive his sin reminds us that God can forgive this sin. The Lord would not inspire David to pray these words and to record them in Psalm 51 if there were no possibility of forgiveness of sin in this area. But he does. And so, verse 1 and 2, David says, Lord, blot out my transgressions, cleanse my iniquity, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from this sin. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has come to die on the cross, to pay for the sins of those who believe, God can forgive this sin. David prays for it, you can pray for it also. Isn't that hopeful? Second reason for hope, God can change our hearts. Because in verse 10, noticing again, 
what David prays for. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, I know that change in this area is hard, but it is not, therefore, impossible. Our sins and temptations do not define us. We belong to God. And if David can ask God to create a new heart in him, that he can do that for you and for me as well. We belong to God. And so we can honor him with our eyes, with our hearts, and with all of our bodies. So friends, return to the Lord. Friends, repent of your sin. Friends, Receive Christ's forgiveness. And friends, come back to God with confidence that he can renew your heart such that real change is possible. Great God in heaven, as we think of your great faithfulness to us, we have been challenged this morning to display that faithfulness in our relationships with one another. We thank you that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover any sin of his people. And so we bless you that forgiveness is on offer in this area also. Lord, we thank you for the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Lord, Lord, we pray that we would all turn to Psalm 51 today and see the hope that is there in the offer of forgiveness and the promise of a new heart that God creates in his people. And Lord, as we struggle in this life with indwelling sin, as we know that temptation in different ways, as we've talked about it today, we thank you that we look forward in your word to a day that is coming when Jesus will return, when we will know that full work of sanctification, where there will be no more struggle because we will be free from sin in all of its ways, both in our lives and in our hearts. And so we pray that you would use your word for great good in our lives. We pray that, Father God, you would bring about change and growth in holiness in our lives in this area. Would you protect all of the marriages in this church? Would you sustain and enable and draw near to all of those who struggle in singleness, we pray. And would you grant to us that love and compassion for each other that we would rightly support one another as we're asked, that we would grow in godliness in this area. So help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.